the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cat Bailey. With me today is my co-host, loyal, adventuring cohort, Nadia Oxford. Hello, loyal to the end. Loyal to the end. Um, and as usual, we will be talking about RPGs in all other forms, big and small, Eastern, Western, you name it, we love them all. And this week, we will be covering Dragon Quest Builders. We'll be talking about Pokemon, which I got a chance to see last week. It's very exciting. Jealous. We're going to be talking about the possibilities of a new Bravely Default. And we're going to be talking about underrated RPG pitches. Yay. Yes. So let's get right down to it, Nadia. Mm -hmm. Dragon Quest Builders. I've played it now. (laughs) Congratulations. Woo. Uh, Yeah, I got a Vita code the other day. Uh Uh-huh. uh, from from courtesy of our boss, and Thank you. I installed it, and uh, yeah, so far, um, pretty. I think that initially I was like going, okay, okay, yeah, all right, uh, because the first thing the first thing you do is you you walk into the kind of the ruined village, right? Yes, and you start, um, and, and it kind of holds your hands through the tutorial and it's like yeah all right uh build up this house all right you build up the house great now craft some things okay you crafted the things okay build um the stone mason's place so that you can craft some stuff mm-hmm. uh that, that and that's like all right yeah that's fine um i think that i started to get a little more into it when i kind of went on my first quest i suppose uh, my first like real adventure yeah um is that when you gather up the guy who's lost around the mountain or um are you talking about when you actually go off the island for the first time i'm talking about when you go um looking for the guy who's lost yeah <laughs> like when you move away from the from the the main village right because um it goes from that point it starts to feel like more of an actual rpg at that point absolutely yes yeah because you're now it becomes an action rpg right it's mm-hmm. it's not your traditional dragon quest game which in a way makes me a little sad mm-hmm. um you are going and you're killing the the slimes with your stick yeah. or your club <laughs> I, I crafted a club before i left good move um, you can craft a lot of weapons, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. which is pretty awesome. And and at that point, it becomes kind of a well, it becomes a survival game because yes, you are trying to keep your stamina up and everything. And at one point, you find a house that mm-hmm. you kind of reconstruct, like add blocks to and everything, and then you can take a break and rest there. So it's like uh, it. It got a little more, it, it became a little more than just crafting things at that point. So yeah. I was getting into it. Um, how far have you gotten so far? That was as far as I got. <laughs> okay, so um, because I basically got the game last night. Uh, I got it at midnight. Nice. Uh, after wow, the- midnight launch. Well, it was a real struggle because I was actually going to pre-order it before then. But um, suddenly PlayStation decided it didn't want my credit card or my PayPal account anymore. Oh, geez. So I'm like, oh, you got to be freaking kidding me of all the times. So and I had just bought uh, SteamWorld Heist and the and the DLC, so I I don't know what the hell is going on. So I said, you know what? And I went online and I bought a digital code for um, PlayStation Store, and I did that because I was desperate. <laughs> so you just downloaded it? Yes. Um, my husband was like, "Don't you want a, a physical copy? Because you know you're so into Dragon Quest." And I'm like, "Yeah, but I want to play it now." <laughs> 
could so, buy it twice. I guess I could. But uh, uh, Square Enix wouldn't rich. begrudge you, I don't think. No, that's true. So they'll so buy as many copies as you want, Nadia. Build a house out of Dragon Quest Builders. <laughs> I'm sure Square Enix would love that. It's only a blip on the analytics. Oh, that's strange. Man, we're seeing a lot of copies of Dragon Quest Builders in Toronto for some reason. <laughs> But um, I actually, uh, the only problem I have with the game for now is that I went through the demo and I have to go through the whole tutorial again. Mm-hmm. And um, honestly, once you're done with the, the tutorial, things really start to pick up. That's, uh, you mentioned kind of having that real sense of stepping out for the first time. You really get that when you get to go off island for the first time and you're really kind of pretty distant from your base. And again, you have to build up ruined houses and uh, oh there's a skeleton there you know mind if i just kind <laughs> of <laughs> bunk with you for a while mr skeleton um and then like not only that but um once you get off the island monsters become a lot more aggressive especially at night oh that makes so, sense so yeah, yeah i noticed that it was like well monsters will always come from this direction and that kind of thing so when you say that they become a lot more aggressive at night does that mean like they will actually attack your village or because well, it said that if you just go to sleep at night like, you'll wake up in the morning and all is good. Yeah, um, that is true. But what you're thinking of is actually, um, you probably haven't reached the point yet where you actually will be under siege by monsters. And, Whoa. Uh, yeah, it's not too bad the first time around because uh, what's his name is there to help you. But um, Rolo, like the candy. Yeah, that's his name. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the monsters do come at you from that direction. So that's what that sign was referring to. Um, so it's I- basically like Minecraft in that regard. Yeah. Um, in terms of, especially in terms of, of nighttime and monsters getting really aggressive, yes, absolutely. And um, it's funny, I got off the island and uh, nighttime came around and I was like, oh, I'll, I'll just work for the night, no big deal. And it just got pitch black. <laughs> Whoa. And I was like, oh dear, I cannot do this. So I uh, built a little house and I just kind of retired there for a while. I have to say, uh, I'm surprised with by how well Dragon Quest works with the Minecraft formula. Mm-hmm, absolutely. It's not... It's not a series that I would have kind of expected to be mixed with Minecraft, but I, I think the, the fact that you have the monsters just is a natural opening for Dragon Quest monsters to come in there. And of course, Dragon Quest monsters are one of its biggest strengths because mm-hmm. they're so iconic and so easily identifiable. And so like you step out of your little village for the first time and you're like, oh, look, there are the slimes and the little bat guys. Yeah, I recognize all these things. It's actually a really interesting dynamic going on between yourself and the monsters in this game because you are walking around a world where the monsters have essentially taken over. And um, sure, most of the monsters are going to want your hide. They're going to try to skin you. But um, (laughs) when I got onto the island that I was talking about, um, I noticed that suddenly monsters were talking to me like, wow, these are saying, wow, a human, you know, what are you doing here? And actually one of the, mo- the monsters like, that help you get your iconic mallet in the game uh, are the hammer hoods, the little um, rodent guys who carry on those big hammers. Yep, I know and, what you're talking about. Yeah, so uh, the monster who helps you out was like, well, you know what, I shouldn't help you, but I don't like the fact that things have gotten so out of balance. You know, if humans go extinct, then, you, you know, that's not really good. So... She's kind of doing you a favor, and she tells you not to tell the Dragon Lord. I I will say that, in a way, I wish that they had gone for something a little more stylized. I mean, it's pretty stylized as it is, but it's really reminiscent of Minecraft. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially the terrain and everything. The terrain, um, definitely. So I'm kind of like, uh, I almost... I don't think sprite work would have worked necessarily, but... Uh, the 2.5D look for Minecraft is 
just okay. It's not bad. It's just yeah. okay. Yeah, it's um, it's a very kind of interesting visual style, isn't it? Like, um, it, it's kind of like watching Barbie dolls walk around through Minecraft world. <laughs> <laughs> it's very strange. And I know what you mean, because yes, the terrain still comes off as very blocky, but the, the characters themselves are kind of plastic. The monsters look great, of course. Of but, course. Um, yeah, I know what you mean, but I don't know what a good solution is either, so I don't think Square Enix did either. So, I've been playing on the PlayStation Vita, mm-hmm. and I, I've seen a bunch of people kind of wondering, like, is it good on the PlayStation Vita? Should I get it on the Vita? Now, I have not played it on the PlayStation 4, so I don't have a point of reference. Mm-hmm. At least not as of the recording of this podcast. By the time I'm, I'm planning to write an article um, on Thursday as of the recording of this podcast, um, kind of addressing whether the Vita version is worth picking up. Right. But um, so I may get a chance to play the PS4 version by then. But I, my, I actually think that I would play it on the Vita over the PS4. Oh, really? Um, I guess the portability, I mean, let's face it, Minecraft has done gangbusters on portable systems, except for 3DS, because duh. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, Is there even a Minecraft on 3DS? No, uh, the, exactly the duh there, because Nintendo just let it slide right over their heads. What else is new? But um, Wasn't yeah, there going to be a Mario Minecraft? There is one, on the, but on the Wii U. Um, Why wouldn't you put that on the 3DS? Who knows what Nintendo thinks or does these days. <laughs> Especially since That's crazy to me. It is, because especially since going on a tangent here, Wii U Minecraft, it's one of the system's best sellers. So well, of course it is, because kids buy the systems, and what's the first game that they're going to buy? Because that's all their friends are talking about it at school, Minecraft. Yeah. And so I would love to see Minecraft on 3DS, absolutely, but uh, not happening. Uh, but I'm In glad fact, to hear- I would almost say it's like a negative selling point not to have Minecraft on the 3DS. Oh, it doesn't have Minecraft? Oh, okay, I won't Why buy bother? It, exactly. Yeah. yeah, if you're like, especially like 10 or under, or, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a really stupid move. But um, I'm glad to hear it works well on Vita. Oh, yeah. Um, so last week I was complaining about Darkest Dungeon on the Vita. Yes. And like how it strained my eyes and how ham-fisted it was and like porting the UI from the PC version over to uh, the Vita version. Mm-hmm. Um, it just completely turned me off from playing an RPG as intensive as Darkest Dungeon. Right. Uh, Dragon Quest Builders, I feel like, is a natural fit for a portable system. Um, can be a tiny bit awkward at times placing the blocks because yeah. of those itty-bitty little thumbsticks yeah. that you end up <laughs> relying on pretty heavily. But by and large, it looks good to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see any significant slowdown yet. Right. Um, Vita games tend to have a lot of slowdown when you have... Uh, Vita games that are also PS4 games tend to have a ton of slowdown when you get a lot of enemies on the screen. Right. So that is something to watch out for. But so far, I haven't seen any hiccups. And I mean, it looks good, right? I mean, because it was already pretty stylized and everything on the PS4. uh, It looks just fine on the Vita. Like you don't see like a noticeable degradation in the graphical fidelity. Yeah. So... I and, and then like it just felt really natural for me to curl up in my armchair with a cup of tea mm-hmm. and start building and start building houses and stuff. Yeah. You know, so. so that sounds nice. Um, of course, there are some on the PS4, at least there are some huge landscapes like going down. At least you kind of see down to the horizon. So I'll, I'm wondering how those will translate. But on the other hand, as you say, it's a very 
stylized look, but it's very simple. So hopefully it doesn't drain your Vita. Drain my Vita. Yeah. Um, I, I'm like, you, you can tilt the camera back and like look out over mm-hmm. everything. You can like tilt it to go for more, more of an overhead look, which yeah. is what I did on occasion, especially when I was building my first blueprint. Yes. Because you can set down blueprints and just start building them and everything. Um, I have to say, like, this is just a personal thing for me, but I always find it really stressful to try and build in ruins. <laughs> Do you really? Yeah, because my first instinct is to want to just clear all of it out and start yes. from scratch. Okay, I see right? what you mean. Yeah. Like, because all of that extra debris gets in my way. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like I'm going, everything's going to get screwed up. Uh, this this was a thing in Fallout 4 as well. Like, right. I had a lot of anxiety, like, with the, the ruined sanctuaries and everything. Um, so there were a few places that I ended up building on. One of them was, like, a gas station, <laughs> which I really, if I could, had my way, I would get rid of the, like, the gassing, the, the, the filling area. Right. And just have the building. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other was... Um, the castle that I ended up building um, is a lighthouse, which is just all fine and good and everything. But um, there's a ruined building next to that and it's like missing its roof (laughs) and you can't get rid of it. So you just have this roofless house and it drove me crazy. (laughs) No, I know. Luckily, it's not so bad. It's not so bad. It's like compared to a lot of the places in Fallout 4 like it's like okay I can work with this but still grr I I want to build a roof I want to fix that roof. Well it's like uh, Fallout 4 and and Dragon Quest builders are kind of working on the same premise where you have a ruined world where everything's been kind of stomped to the ground. So So I'll be honest um, I play portable games but I mostly play them when I'm on a plane. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my metric for whether or not... I have two metrics for portable portable games. Maybe three. Oh, God. (laughs) Rambly. Okay. First metric is, can I just, like, turn it off at any time and not feel bad? Like, can I just pick it up for, like, two minutes, enjoy myself, and then put it down again? Mm -hmm. Uh, RPGs tend to be really good for that. That's why I think they're a really good fit for portable systems. Another metric is, do I feel, like, natural just curling up in a chair... Like, and putting on a pair of headphones and playing them. And another metric is, is this a good, is this something that I would want to play on an airplane for a long period of time? Mm-hmm. And I think Dragon Quest Builders fits all of those kind of, um, kind of all those metrics. And, yeah. and I'll be honest, like, I can't really imagine sitting, sitting in front of my TV for a long period of time playing Dragon Quest Builders. Like, it, it feels like a portable game to me. I, I I'm kind of, I don't have a problem with it on, on PS4, but I sure. totally understand where you're coming from, especially since you do more traveling than I do. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So uh, I I will, though I have not played that much of Dragon Quest Builders, and maybe you can take my words with a grain of salt. I did. I I think that everybody makes a snap judgment when they pick something up. Mm-hmm. Like either you like it immediately, and then the game has to kind of go uh, like you steadily start to find the the problems with it yeah or you don't like it out of the gate and the game has to kind of sell itself to you like that has been my experience in the past like sometimes i come in and i'm just lukewarm but in that case like i don't if i'm just lukewarm on a game then i'm kind of like then it's having to i'm having to be sold on it Mm -hmm. i like dragon quest builders out of the gate right um 
So what were you going to say? Oh, just, um, I've gotten only a little bit farther than you, but I, I could see myself uh, enjoying this basically as much as Jeremy did, because he gave it a pretty good review. Mm-hmm. Um, because the very concept is, is really intriguing to me, and I've gone on about that before, about the idea that uh, it's an alternate world, Alephgard, and you have to um, rebuild it. Especially since I just recently discovered that you kind of flash back to what happened to make the original hero make that choice to stay with the Dragon Lord. So, you know, I'm very curious to see where that goes. And I just like the idea of visiting the, these lands that I grew up with and, uh, you know, trying to restore some life back to them and, you know, clear out the skeletons, uh, both the corpses and the ones that are walking around. Yeah, you have an emotional investment in the series as it is. Yes. Um, you also played Minecraft. Yes. Um, as a Minecraft fan, like, what? how does it strike you? Uh, I think it's a little more heavy on the action than Minecraft is, uh, especially on the RPG elements. Um, I think I went into this last time, but I def- the thing I like about it ver- over Minecraft is it feels like there's a reason to explore. Um, Minecraft, you get sure you get tons of uh, places where you can like find ruins and castles, and you know it's neat, but there's nothing really to it other than finding some treasure. Whereas um, Dragon Quest Builders, you have that story element, and again, you have that emotional investment. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, Dragon Quest Builders, uh, I will say that I recommend it. I, I think that it is certainly worth trying out. If, if nothing else, try the demo. Definitely try the demo, and, and do be aware that uh, things do pick up after the, the demo, and uh, you have less people nattering at you all the time. <laughs> oh, and uh, uh, jag up the, the message speed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a good idea. Just yeah. totally do that. Yeah. All right, so moving on to the next topic, Nadia. Mm-hmm. So last week I got to go play Pokemon Sun and Moon. I know, I didn't. So um, we played all the way up through the first gym, uh-huh. um, which was actually not the first gym. It was one of the first challenges. Yeah, like one of the uh, islands or whatever. So this is what I'm going to say. Uh, first of all, it kind of is still a gym. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not surprised. Because when you get there, like, they'll give you a little quest, uh-huh. and the quest might be, like, a fetch quest or something. And uh-huh. that's not that dissimilar from a gym. Right. Because a gym is, like, you know, usually has some kind of puzzle to it, right? Yeah, exactly. So that's similar in that regard. However, you actually get to fight Pokemon instead of the gym leaders. Oh, wow. Which I found kind of interesting. Uh-huh. So... Um, and these are like totem Pokemon, and they're like bigger mm-hmm. um, than uh, regular Pokemon, and they can call in buddies to help. Oh, really? Yeah, they can call in little buddy monsters to give them a hand. Ah. So you have to fight them like one on two, mm-hmm. which is like an interesting challenge. That that actually varies things up quite a bit. Yeah, that does actually. Um, so, and like, plus the totem Pokemon, like, they look cool, they're bigger, they're like grumpier, <laughs> grumpy, po- bigger grumpy and Pokemon. angrier. Yes, exactly. So, I, so there was that. So, here are a few things that jumped out at me about Pokemon Sun and Moon. Uh, first of all, it's, I like the environment, mm-hmm. I, I like Hawaii mm-hmm. land. <laughs> <laughs> Hawaii, too. it's pretty. Um, I like that you have I, I like the stylized menus mm-hmm. i think it's a lot more stylized and just frankly more attractive than x and y or omega ruby alpha sapphire mm-hmm. 
And in fact, you have your own little uh, kind of navy character. Yeah, the Rotodex or whatever, Rotom Dex. Yes, uh, he will. He's not always like, "Hey, hey, listen, listen." Uh huh. Like he'll like pop up and like make suggestions and like kind of morph to look like a Pokedex and everything. It, it's cute. Uh-huh. I, I like it. Um, so so there's that and. That adds kind of a fun, like, visual element to the interface. Mm-hmm. But the menus themselves are just really attractive, in my opinion. Um, and let's see. So you start out, like, in typical, pretty typical Pokemon fashion. You know, go get your monster, um, meet your rival, who... Mm-hmm. Kind of a doofy guy. Typical, typical Pokemon protagonist. Which, by the way, like, are we ever going to get a real rival back? <laughs> Yeah, like, Gary was a jerk. <laughs> and that was Why great. are they always so nice? And now I'm actually kicking myself. I should have asked them. Uh, I should have thought of that one. What's I that? should have asked, are we ever going to get, like, an evil um, an evil jerk rival again? Because <laughs> everybody loves Gary. Everybody Gary. everybody liked um, the evil guy from Gold and Silver. What the heck happened? Yeah, like, there's actually, in fact, there's a park in Toronto, High Park. And I don't know if this is still the case, but... Um, there was actually one of the signs had written on it near the entrance of the park. Uh, Gary was here. Ash is a loser. Yes. So I don't, I don't know if that got cleaned up, but I hope not. <laughs> well, canonically, it's red and blue, not Ash and Gary. That is true. That is very true. <laughs> Ash and Gary are from the anime. Hello. <laughs> yeah, my husband reminds me of that every single time because he's a big fan of the uh, red and blue uh, continuity. <laughs> I I actually kind of that reminds me that I want to watch the Pokemon the the new Pokemon anime, oh, right, the one that yeah. goes through all of the different generations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, at some a... point I'm gonna have to rank the generations. Oh my god, that would that would be a, that would be a podcast on its own. Well, or a cover story. Well, if I didn't rank the first generation uh, number one, then oh. everybody would just come at me with pitchforks and everything i'd have to get a shovel and start searching for your body because you'd be gone (laughs) but i think it's it's more it's not just the monsters themselves that exist in there for me it's also the metagame Mm -hmm, absolutely and in that case um gold and silver is without question one of the best no i strongly disagree i think it's the worst do you oh it's terrible it's so slow Uh. like um look i'm looking at it from a competitive perspective oh okay well i don't have that perspective really uh like turn game battles would go on for like hundreds of turns and everything was stalling (laughs) when uh, i was a kid and we were playing like you know red and blue through in school and all that uh, everyone would pit like mewtwo versus mewtwo and like heal one turn after the other and oh god Mm -hmm. that was so terrible yeah um i think my personal well, my first, my personal favorite Pokemon is still Black Two and White Two, mm-hmm. and because it had so much to do, and the world felt so alive and vibrant. Um, and I, I was kind of rambling to the PR rep about this. And <laughs> <laughs> the, they had the Treehouse rep just kind of hanging out with me while I was playing the game because uh-huh. I was in there for like two hours. Wow! And I, and he was talking to me, so the next thing I knew, I was rambling about Black Two and White Two. I hate that I do that. Um, <laughs> but I digress. And the reason I like Black 2 and White 2 is because I, I liked the Hollywood thing, like where you're mm. doing the little movies with your monsters and they became a star and they would have a little star pop up over their head. Yeah, I loved the Joint Avenue um, where people could come in over the internet and establish shops. Mm-hmm. 
That's I true. thought that was really cool. I loved, 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 loved the Pokemon World Tournament. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought that was brilliant. I, I love, it was just nostalgia overdrive fighting all of those gym leaders with my yeah. teams. Uh, especially because I role play as like wandering Pokemon Samurai who has been like to every region. So it's like, <laughs> aha, at last we meet. Um, and I really, really liked that in Black 2 and White 2, if you saw all of the the Pokemon from the Unova decks, mm-hmm. you could access the secret garden area and capture a shiny Haxorus. Nice. That's right. Yeah. Which I thought was awesome. And because I'm a big fan of like, you know, mementos and collectibles and trophies and games. Mm-hmm. And that for me was like an amazing trophy because shinies are hard to get. Yeah. No kidding. I've never gotten I'm one. Just not one of those people who will like just go looking for shinies. I've gotten a few. I actually hatched a shiny um, Chimchar. Aw, that's so cute. Yep, hatched it. Never evolved it because I never evolved it because it wasn't actually that good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Chimchar like I, I checked, a... I checked its stats, and it was like, oh, it's it's way too flawed to actually use. But yeah, whatever. Oh. At least it was. Uh, shiny. I have a few others. I've traded for some shinies at various points, so I have a little box that's just like my shiny trophies. But <laughs> and they all, that's where they all fester now, waiting for the day when they can see the sunlight again. Ooh, don't say that. I, I really <laughs> w- if I could have one wish, or not, okay, I have many wishes for Pokemon, but one of my big wishes is that you could have like a little garden where this, you could it, just release your Pokemon yeah. and let them wander around. Isn't like Sun and Moon, didn't they just recently mention something about how there's there's something similar for PC Pokemon, like uh, a place where they can stay and be happy, and I don't know, I might have misread it. But I don't recall anything like that, but if that's the case, then that's awesome. Yeah, I was under the impression that there's something that uh, that PC-bound Pokemon can do to kind of, you know, be cool and happy and make your conscience feel a little lighter. I just, I feel like at the point at this point, we're, we're at the point where I feel like you can have like a lot of Pokemon wandering around in a back area that you can go visit. That'd be nice. I'd like that a lot. It would add an, a layer of interactivity that I, I think in some degrees has been missing. I th- a lot of people liked Heart Gold and Soul Silver mm-hmm. because you had the, the Pokemon trailing after you, which I is really awesome, that. right? Yeah. Yeah, that was cool. You could have your favorite monster trailing after you. Yeah. The rest of the game was pretty meh, but that aspect was cool. Yeah. They, they, I would like to see that come back. Yeah, I would absolutely like that to come back. But in any case, I I loved that I could get that trophy. I I actually soft reset until I got one with really good stats. Mm-hmm. Uh, captured <laughs> it with a Master Ball. Wow. So, and named it Precious. <laughs> Not Fuzzy Pants? No, no, it's Precious. He's Precious. So I'd be like, here's Precious. And then he's like, he's like making horrifying like Haxorus noises. Because they look like praying mantises. They're like horrifying. Yeah. It's awesome. Um, so I would use Haxorus in a battle. He would burst out in the special Master Ball animation. And then he would do the shiny thing. And it was intimidating and awesome. And then he would wipe out the entire opposing party without rage. And it was Sweet. great. Because I was just that kind of lady. Who needs children when you have Pokemon? I mean, seriously. Oh, yeah. And it was a female Haxorus, which made even, better. even better. Yes, exactly. She, she was a classy she was a classy dame that <laughs> Classy dame. Unfortunately, um, she became almost useless in X and Y because of the fairy type. 
Oh, right. Oh, sorry, Precious. You had your yeah, time in dragon, the sun. and also Mega Evolutions. Yeah, like, of course. Mega Evolved Dragons kind of left Haxorus a lot uh, behind. Mm-hmm. Alas. But in any case, the reason I bring up Black 2 and White 2 is because uh, Sun and Moon kind of reminds me of it already. Oh, that's good. Yeah, that's that's a high that's a high, that's high praise for me. Yeah. Um, did they let you choose your starter, or did they give you one? They did. Um, I picked Litten. Yay! The best kitten choice. is lit. <laughs> he is lit. Yes. Uh, they would not allow me to evolve him, Aww. which is funny because they've already uh, revealed yeah. the evolved starters. Yeah. They were like, "Oh, you can't evolve the starter." <laughs> I'm like, "Okay, whatever." Try and stop um, me. The rival I should mention. Um, is already a loser because <laughs> he literally picks the Pokemon that your starter is strong against. Wow. Like, yeah. Why not? <laughs> well, I mean, okay. That's weird. That's a little yeah, different. He picks the Pokemon that you're strong against and you start out with um, an elemental attack. So oh, wow. I just basically started his grass Pokemon on fire. <laughs> And moved on with my life, and that was that. That must have taken three seconds, if that. Just about, yeah. Which I'm fine with, because I always found the stupid tackle battles I started every game to be a little tedious. Yes. So it's like, yeah, let's dispense with this ASAP. But I I just thought, I was like, geez, even like even Brendan, who is easily the lamest rival in the history of Pokemon, at least he picked... At least he had the wherewithal to pick a monster that was strong against you. Yeah, he had he had a few like brains in the brain department at least. Yeah, I mean, true, he never even got around to evolving his monster. Yeah. <laughs> never <laughs> yeah, even evolved that uh that Mudkip into a Swamper. It just got stuck on the second evolution. Shows what a crappy trainer he is. Oh. Maybe he likes Got swamper. totally totally run, got the end around by the sick kid. I'm talking about Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, by the way. Mm-hmm. So uh, he was better in Emerald. He actually does evolve his monster in Emerald. Oh, but he figured it out. Of course, Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire are not reflective of Emerald, just Ruby and Sapphire, which yes. is weird. I've always found that really strange. Yeah, I sometimes Pokemon continuity confuses me, and I just check out. I mean, Emerald was the definitive version of Ruby and Sapphire, right? So why would you go backward? <laughs> I sure. don't understand. Why wouldn't you make it reflective of emerald? Yeah, I, I don't understand these choices. Sometimes you should have. So if you have like alpha sapphire, omega ruby, um, what would emerald be? Zeta, emerald. I guess. Um, <laughs> I don't know my Greek letters very well. Uh, epsilon emerald. There we go. I like that. But still, it's like okay, that's fine and all. <sighs> I whatever. It's just <laughs> I didn't like Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire. I thought that was I thought that was a huge missed opportunity. I, I, I didn't think that it did a lot for the third generation, which was not a not a terribly strong generation to begin with. But Yeah. That's it. So yeah. Um it it progresses pretty much as you expect. Like you you go to the town, you're running an errand, you capture a Pokemon, it's doing all the tutorial stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And you end up at a Pokemon school and you uh, and you have to fight some trainers and you fight a teacher and your Pokemon's evolving, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which just... is all well and good. Yeah, school would have been a lot more interesting if I had been able to like lob a Pokeball at my grade one <laughs> teacher. 
But I think the reason that I compare it to Black 2 and White 2 is because they have this thing called like a festival plaza, mm-hmm. which you can enter to into at any time. And it's this kind of 3D little uh, festival thing um, where you encounter shop owners who can level up and sell you better and better stuff. Oh, that's awesome. And the shops are already established. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to meet people um, who will come in and uh, who will come in and sell you their wares. Like, Because one of the things about Joint Avenue was that you had to get somebody. No, you, you just had to establish as many shops as possible. I think you could have them establish any shop you wanted. Right. I'm trying to recall if like if they would only establish a certain kind of shop. Oh, because I don't, I don't I remember, remember like because there are some shops I remembered having a hard time establishing. Mm-hmm. But in any case, like you have all of the shops like right there. So, but it's a it's a really useful way to build up your your Pokemon and everything. So. So yeah, I'm excited for it. Yeah, um, I, I I think that it looks a lot better than X and Y slash uh, Sun and Moon, like, mm-hmm. graphically. Yeah. Uh, like, the, the representative, which uh, I'm sure this was canned or something, was like, you know, like, the previous ones looked like an N64 game, and this one looks like a PS2 game. <laughs> and that might be overstating things a tiny bit, but... Didn't look like I an don't N- know. I think Sun and Moon definitely is a lot smoother and looks a lot better. Yeah, even going by the videos that uh, I've seen. Um, uh, not to say that X and Y look like an N64 game. That's a little bit... Uh, a little harsh. Yeah, you're really underselling the game there. Yeah, yeah. But I, I think they wanted to oversell yeah. <laughs> the graphical improvements. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, the I like that you can dress your characters up again. Yes. Because that was a big thing for me in X and Y. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad to have it back in this one. So I, it's not quite the quote unquote revolution that I was expecting. <laughs> uh, all things considered, I, I think that it's still very Pokemon. Yes. But I like the, I think the main thing is I just like the world of Pokemon. I like bringing my monsters in. And if you give me a lot to do. Mm-hmm. I will happily while away hours in it and may even get super into it. Yeah, that's that's the important thing. I think that having um, just, as you say, stuff to do over innovation, you know, I can deal with the, the same old formula if I have lots of stuff to do. It is Pokemon. It yeah, works. And so far, so good. Um, yeah, that's what it comes down to is at the end of the day, I like X and Y and Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire work kind of disappointing to me like x and y mostly because i just didn't have enough to do after the game Mm -hmm. like after the game like so much of it was was either you go to the battle tower which is like fine um or you just train and play competitively right um or i guess you could try to catch them all or whatever but i've done that five billion times (laughs) i didn't have anything i didn't have anything on the level of emerald or or anything else, so... Do it five billion in one times. And Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire was even more disappointing. Cause, but that's because I had expectations. Yeah. I had expectations. I was like, I'm going to get my Battle Frontier. I did not get my Battle Frontier. Stop Very disappointed. expectations, Kat. Yeah, no. I should have just judged it on some merits, but 
judged on its own merits. It didn't have enough post-game content mm-hmm. outside of the contests, which, yay, contests. Uh, it had that. I'll, I'll give it that. Yeah. Oh, and the bases. It had the secret bases. I liked those. I did too. like the secret bases. I had I had one of my own um, in the trees. So maybe I was being a little harsh on Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire. Just a, just a little bit. But in any case, are you excited for Pokemon? I am. I'm definitely looking forward to it. Uh, it's when? November 18th, I think? I don't know. I assume so. Yeah, I think it's the 18th. That sounds right. <laughs> that sounds comfortable. Let's I'll put it that. this way. Um, I've played every mainline Pokemon uh, going back to the first games in the series. And I will play through these too, even if I don't end up reviewing it. Yeah, same. I, I've been through... Uh, I, I, yeah, I've been through each of the uh, mainline Pokemon. So uh, why not? Why mess with tradition? So yeah, look for yeah. You can find my preview of Pokemon on the site, and you can also look forward to an an interview with the developers next week, um, where I forget to ask them or why they didn't ha- don't have an evil uh, rival. <laughs> oh, and why they don't have 3D. Oh, it doesn't like, have 3D. It just straight up has no 3D. Oh my goodness. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, which hmm. I think that they just totally dispensed with it. Personally, I don't think it's an interesting question. Yeah, yeah. I guess you kind of know the answer before you ask it. <laughs> so it's a performance issue, right? Yeah. But on the other hand, Smash Brothers, you could put it in 3D and it would have perfect frame rates. So what's Pokemon's excuse? They didn't want to. <laughs> I mean, I guess so. They can do whatever they want, right? Yeah. Okay, let's move on. Uh, so let's talk about um, a recent tease um, that Bravely Third may actually be coming out. So this article went up on our site on Tuesday, mm-hmm. and uh, it's kind of interesting. It celebrated its fourth birthday with a Twitter teaser. And uh, the Japanese text reads, We apologize for the lack of information. Maybe there will be something soon. Indeed. So, Bravely Default 3, what do you think? Sure, I'd go for it. Um, I really like (laughs) Sure, why not? Yeah, just give me some more of that. More of that. I'm not going to say no. Um, I really liked Bravely Default. I liked Bravely Second. And uh, I know the two are quite similar, although the way I hear it, the original Bravely Default in Japan wasn't quite as polished as the uh our version of bravely default until they came out for with a bravely default specifically called for the sequel (laughs) yeah we got for the sequel yeah so i don't know if bravely third would make any sort of you know big changes to the formula but either way they're good solid rpgs i really liked bravely second and this just reminds me that i liked bravely second a lot and i would like more Mm -hmm. um this teaser kind of surprises me if it is actually a teaser it it may just literally just be them saying well maybe we'll have some info for you at some point yeah maybe down in the future in five years (laughs) see persona 5 yeah Um, i'm kidding my understanding is that they are currently working on a collaboration the the studio that works on bravely default is currently collaborating with um sakaguchi Mm -hmm. on uh, a new project and 
I don't know what that game is going to be, except that it's more of a traditional RPG than what Sakaguchi's previous project was, which was Terra Battle um, right. for the phone, which is good. Yeah. I don't want him to be a mobile developer forever. I want him to actually keep making RPGs. Same. Even though I like Terra Battle, um, I do want to see him. Oh, you like Terra Battle? Yeah, I did. I, I enjoyed it. Um, I, I found it just kind of satisfying to play, but I kind of like that kind of gameplay, like you get in Puzzles and Dragons where you get to knock around pieces a lot. It just calls to me my destructive side. You know, Sakaguchi's wallet says thank you. <laughs> I know it does, even though I never spent anything on uh, uh, <laughs> in-game purchases. Well, apparently it hit its like targets and like pieces of music and pieces of art from various Final Fantasy adjacent people have popped up in the game. But mm-hmm. I-, I really think that Sakaguchi and Silicon Studio, like that's like a match made in heaven, right? Yeah. I mean, if you could get Sakaguchi to write the scenario and for them to put together the systems, it just, just sounds phenomenal, right? Yeah, I- I'd go for it. Um, I- I'm curious to see what they have in store. For sure. Uh, but what's curious, though, is by all accounts, Bravely Second didn't do that well in Japan. Oh, is that true? I didn't know that. Yeah, that was my understanding was that Bravely Second sold terribly. Oh, I wonder why. Uh, probably because it was a lot like the first one and recycled a lot of content. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that is true. And um, the soundtrack, even, there wasn't really much in the way of uh, new stuff because the uh, original composer couldn't do it again. So they just Not only kinda... that, but it was really getting killed on Japanese message boards. Was it Apparently, really? the the original script is heavy on memes from like Nichan and stuff like that. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, like super meme heavy. <laughs> so uh, they were like goofing on it over in Japan. So. I didn't know that, and it's hilarious because here, you know, you get the same people complain about the same things. Like, you know, too many memes. Stick to the original. Okay, <laughs> we well, did. What if it's like all Japanese memes that we don't understand? Yeah, really. Like, um, so just translate them to American memes. No, that's not good. You shouldn't be. You shouldn't be using memes. Why not? Japan did. No, it's not literally faithful to the script. <laughs> like, I'm supposed to understand Japanese memes, <laughs> unless it's all like ASCII art. I don't understand it. Nadia, you're just not hardcore enough. I know. I'm not. If you went, if you were truly a hardcore Jap- Japanese fan, you would go to Nichan and you would like. Uh, Google Translate those memes and like <laughs> learn them because like, you're not going to learn the actual language. Come on, these make no and, sense. They're not funny. <laughs> yeah. So whatever. Um, yes, the forces of localization, best slash worst story of the year of that's, 2016. That, that's so weird. That just to hear that whole thing that blows my mind. Yeah. So yeah, Bravely Second apparently didn't do too well over in Japan. Um, I have no idea how it did over here. I know mm-hmm. that it has an established fan base. Um, it certainly is kind of filling a gap that is left by Final Fantasy. Yeah, I know the first game did really well over here, of course. Yeah, well, it did surprisingly well. Yeah. In, um, in both territories. Like, Square Enix was like, whoa! <laughs> Wasn't seeing and this. That's why we got Tokyo RPG Studio. Yeah, and I don't think uh, I am Susuna did well at all anywhere. Yeah, I have no idea how well it did, but I think when you don't give it enough budget and you give them how how long to make a full blown RPG, yeah, I mean, and just everything is done on the cheap. I, th- I think, and this is no disrespect to the people who made the game; they did the absolute best that they could. Mm-hmm. But when you're just gonna try and push something out as quickly and as possible um that's kind of going to be the result so 
unfortunately. But Bravely Second, and and that kind of strikes me as what happened with Bravely Second, right? I mean, yeah. They're reusing that much content and everything. Um, yeah, it definitely is. You reuse a lot of content. Um, I didn't have a major problem with that, but I could see why other people would. But on but on that by that same token, I think Bravely Second was a better game than Bravely Default. I enjoyed it more. I I don't know what it is. It's just I like the characters better for one thing. Well, I, I like the characters, and I think that it was quicker to get started, and mm-hmm. it. I thought the writing was a little sharper. Yes. Um, it was funnier and cuter, and I I think I actually really 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 liked the the battle system. Hmm. I, I really liked the the next battle kind of thing where it's like okay yeah. keep going. That was great. That was a great way to to level up if you needed it. Yeah, exactly. So it made it less of a grind. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't slow to a crawl at certain chapters. Yes, it, it was a pretty brisk game, all things considered. Even though it was you know a long game. The the side quests were where you like resolve a dispute Mm -hmm. and then choose which um class you want they weren't really side quests no not really let's be perfectly clear i I always find uh i always find basically required side quests to be a little annoying because if you don't do them you're not you're going to be under leveled severely yeah um for whatever dungeon that you're going to be taking on (laughs) and that was the case with this so you had to get the damn classes and you had to fight the boss it was not because otherwise you would be underleveled for the next area. I did like how um, they brought in old characters from the previous game, though. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. That was clever. Um, that was fun. I also liked... I, I like the boss battles in that game. They they can feel like puzzles. Yes. I think that that is the absolute best thing that you can ask for out of an RPG, or a turn-based RPG, at least, is for the bosses to feel like kind of a puzzle, like a challenge. Like, mm-hmm. okay, how do I do this? Like... How do I approach this? Yeah, like an actual, you know, that's what a boss should be, not just a glorified random encounter. Absolutely. So um, I would be totally okay with Bravely Default 3, Bravely 3rd. Yeah. Um, but I'm more interested in what they're doing with Sakaguchi first. So. Yeah, same here. So uh, we'll have to see what happens there. Absolutely. All right. And speaking of uh, boss battles that feel like puzzles, let's talk about our underrated RPG pitch for the week. Okay. Yeah, so last week I sent out a message and I was like, hey, everybody, um, I want more underrated RPG pitches because I'm uh, transparently trolling for content and I want (laughs) you to provide it for me. And you guys responded. Good job. All right. Applause. All right. So the blood god, the blood god is pleased. And the first sacrifice to the blood god is from Joshua Anderson, who apparently is a graphic web designer. Well, good for you, Joshua. Nicely done. Hi, he says. Hi. I was listening to the latest acts of the Blood God and heard your call. Well, great. Thank you. I think the third Penny Arcade on the precipice of an extremely long title, a (laughs) Z-Boid, was vastly underappreciated upon its release. I believe Penny Arcade was having one of their scandals at the time, which may have overshadowed this surprisingly fun little RPG with great dialogue and simple yet fun Grandia-inspired battle system. It's not a very exploration-heavy game, but the combat was fun enough to make it very enjoyable, streamlined experience. The fourth one isn't as fun, mostly because of the common flaw of RPG designers to fiddle unnecessarily with perfectly fine battle systems out of fear of boredom, but still quite good. You can often find it on Steam for a ridiculously low price, so I'd highly recommend it to any listeners. Anyway, that's my two cents. Thanks for the fun podcast. Oh, thank you. Did you play Rain Slicked Precipice of Doom? 
Was Part it, three? Was, uh, it was basically on the rain-slicked precipice of darkness, wasn't it? That was the name. Yeah, that one. Um, I, I never remember it. Um, I wanted to, to play the first one at least, but I don't know why I never got around to it. I think it just, life got in the way sort of thing. Did you ever play it? Yes, I did. It was way better than the first two. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I should preface this by saying that I consider Robert Boyd a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, he has been on, I don't, yeah, I think he was on the very first episode of the show. Maybe <laughs> oh, wow. the second. Yeah, he was on here to talk about Cosmic Star Heroin, which is his next project um, in conjunction with his partner. Mm-hmm. Um, Z-Boyd Games has been working on that one for a while. Another Vita game. Really looking forward to it. Um, we were talking about I Am Setsuna earlier. Mm-hmm. <laughs> talking about capturing the essence of classic RPGs. Now that is a game. Lovingly handcrafted. Really exciting. Yeah. And it's really, like, I, I got into the kind of Z-Boy games with um, Cthulhu Saves the World because it was just so freaking funny. Like, I laughed out loud within, like, the first minute of Cthulhu Saves the World mm-hmm. and just went from there. Um, and they've gotten, their games have become progressively more technically impressive over the years. Um, and, but they don't lose sight of that kind of classic JRPG f- vibe. Right. Even even just looking at like the, cr- the screenshots in the movies, you could tell that the games really were uh, such a loving tribute to the old, the RPGs of old. Yeah, and they have a really strong grasp of systems. Mm-hmm. It was interesting because they the Penny Arcade game, the the one that they made. I did not play the fourth one actually, mm-hmm. uh, so I can't speak to that one. I I don't know why. I think I was out of work at the time. <laughs> Or I was busy or something. Like, there was something that was keeping me from playing it. Right. Uh, but the third game was a mix of Grandia and Final Fantasy Thirteen. Oh, that's interesting. In that the battles were all very carefully paced. Mm-hmm. And so, on the one hand... It's it's not as dynamic as what you would might find, and it's a lot more linear and straightforward. Mm-hmm. But it gives them certain opportunities because it can, because they know pretty much where you're going to be level wise when you get to a particular boss, right, or a particular enemy, and so they can throw a lot more interesting challenges your way, right. And at that point, it becomes a like trying to figure out what you're supposed to do because they know what skills you're going to have, right. It's not going to be a case of, oh, I don't have the skill because I'm, like, underleveled by, like, five levels. Mm-hmm. So, oh, so that, that's uh, that's really interesting. And I guess the reason I never really looked at the third game is because I never played the first one. So I figured, well, don't I have to know the first one or the second one? Is that- oh, hell no. Okay, the first the two aren't, any, aren't all that great either. Yeah. So, yeah, you're fine. Like, the third game is perfectly fine. Um, it's funny. You can totally ignore the fact that it's... Uh, based on the Penny Arcade brand mm-hmm. um, like because it brings in so many like kind of classic RPG tropes. Right. Actually the Z-Boy guys got their start on the Penny Arcade forums if I recall correctly. Oh cool. Yeah like they were they were on those forums so they kind of knew those guys. That's why they were brought in to make mm-hmm. the third and fourth episodes. Oh nice. But yeah uh, there's some really hysterical uh, RPG in jokes in the third episode, the third Penny Arcade game. So, yeah, strongly recommend it. Yeah, if I uh, definitely if I have the the chance and the uh, time, I will. Uh, I might pick it up on Steam sometime for a song. It's probably like ninety nine cents. <laughs> oh, that's a little too rich for my blood. Thank God for 
Steam devaluing devaluing games and oh. hours upon hours of hard work. My goodness gracious! What would we do without you, Steam? Thanks, Gabe. Did I just say that if I had Steam when I was like a teenager, you would never have seen me again? Oh, I would have failed every single class. I mean, all those free to play games. Oh. oh my gosh, I probably would have. I don't know how. I probably would have spent way days. too much money on microtransactions. Oh boy. And uh, don't even get me started on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> I, w- I just would never have come out of my house. That's just how it would have been. No, I'd like, be, I'd be would... right now. I'd be a skeleton just in front of a <laughs> uh, a couch, in front of a TV on a couch, holding a game controller holding or something. A game or controller, <laughs> dogs not holding, on my feet. Holding a tablet. Yeah, uh, millions upon millions of games. All the kids want to play is stupid Minecraft. Yeah, it's not stupid. It's all right. But you should play Dragon Yeah, you're right. I, I'm I'm being a little harsh on Minecraft. It's <laughs> it's pretty good. It it's pretty good for a game that launched, you know, an entire genre and is arguably the most important game of the past fifteen years. Yeah, it's all just, right. Just it's it's just all right. <laughs> it allowed Notch to build a, a house in Beverly Hills and become like an angry recluse. Yeah, with a candy wall. <laughs> hey, you know, if I had a billion dollars, I'd probably do the same thing. Yeah, but I'd uh, I'd I'd fill it with good candy, not like crappy candy like you know those, those little toffees they give you at halloween and you just throw out immediately none of that mm, yeah good candy yeah good candy. You, you, you know how it is yeah nadia okay so that's the end of our episode uh actually blood god is a u.s gamer podcast find us on itunes stitcher iHeartRadio, and other podcast dispensaries um you can find us on twitter at us gamer net you can follow me at the underscore catbot. If you want to contribute more RPG pitches, drop me a line at cat.bailey at usgamer.net. And oh, um, this is kind of Japan related, so I'm sure that my audience would like this. I this week I did a cover story about Playism. Mm-hmm. Um, Playism is, of course, a digital distribution platform that in Japan is bringing Western Indies over to Japan and in the U.S. is distributing Japanese, uh, lots of really interesting little Japanese games like Momodoro. And it's really interesting. They literally go to a, a fair, mm-hmm. like in uh, uh, hobbyist fairs, and find these these games and say, hi, your game looks really cool. Can, can I like, can we localize it and distribute it for you in the U.S.? And they go, what? <laughs> <laughs> so where now? Yes, exactly. It's, that sounds uh, awesome, though. Yeah, it's a two-part thing. I did the first part was about kind of bringing Western indies to Japan, and the second part was about bringing Japanese indies to America. So go check that out, Nadia. We can find you at Nadia Oxford, and of course your blog, Tiny Girl Tiny Games. Um, mostly, you've been working on guides lately. But is there anything that you want to point out? Uh, as you say, I have been working on guides, uh, a lot of Five Nights at Freddy's, which I'm a nerd about that series. I'm sorry. I apologize, but um, I regret nothing. Uh, yeah, well, so are a lot of people. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I uh, heard about that game because of you, by the way. Did you really? Yeah, you pitched me. It was like, hey, I want to write about Five Nights at Freddy's. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell that is. <laughs> <laughs> the kids and love I it. I Googled it, and I was like, oh, fascinating. This is a very popular thing on the YouTubes. Oh, yeah. This is why I can rely on you, Nadia, because you have the finger on the pulse. No, I- I'm just a kid at heart and in my mind. <laughs> but uh, otherwise, uh, tinygirltinygames.com. Uh, tiny I'm working on something small but fun, so maybe check that out in a day or two. Uh, I don't know if you all managed to see to listen to uh, the episode of Square Roots uh, podcast where I was a guest when we talked about Secret of Mana. So please listen to them. They are awesome. 
Yes, you should definitely listen to them. And of course, find us on all of the usual channels, Twitch, YouTube, Facebook, US GamerNet for all of them. But in any case, we'll be back next week as usual. Look for us on Friday. And until then, for Nadia and myself, I've been Kat Bailey. And until next time, happy adventuring.